This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will meet today with the leaders of the four other main federal parties to talk about issues facing Canada's francophone population, as you heard in Bob News. And the meeting comes in the wake of recent changes to francophone services announced by Ontario's Doug Ford government. The moves in the recent economic update prompted a swift backlash that forced the PCs to backtrack on some of their planned measures. So after saying they would abolish the independent office of the French Language Services Commissioner, the position was restored, albeit under the province's ombudsman. And Caroline Mulrooney was sworn in as the minister responsible for Francophone affairs. They are standing by the decision to cancel plans for a Francophone university, but... Did they open a big can of worms for something that is very unlikely to save much money, frankly? We've also seen MPP Amanda Simard, the only Franco-Ontarian in Mr. Ford's caucus, openly break ranks with her party amid reports that up to seven MPPs, conservative MPPs, are ready to jump ship and cross the floor. What do you make of all of this? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And right now we are going to Charles Bird, principal at Earnscliff Strategy Group, and John Capobianco, a political commentator and senior partner at Fleischmann Hillard High Road. Welcome to you both. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Libby. Hi, Libby. Good to be here. Thanks. Yes, it's been a while for both of you. So let's start with Charles Bird. Uh, Charles, uh, is, is did they just uh, step into something they needn't have stepped into? Yeah, I think that's um, something that happens to new governments. It's very easy to get the shoes wrong. It's very easy to be focused on things like cost reduction and uh, to forget that decisions you're making have very real implications for various stakeholder groups, especially francophone communities in Ontario, where there are obviously long-standing concerns and sensitivities over acknowledgement of their rights and uh, and, and uh, their place in their communities. Um, I really have to hand it to um, MPP Amanda Samard. I mean, as a first-time MPP, she has demonstrated tremendous courage to stand up essentially in the face of what her government was doing and to uh, express her discontent. And she has admitted recently that she has, quote-unquote, pushed the limits on criticizing her party over French services. But, um, you know, good for her for doing this. I think the bigger problem, though, oddly enough, is not for the Ford government. It's actually for Andrew Scheer and the federal conservatives, because this issue has resonated through Quebec, so much so that uh, Madame Samard actually appeared on a very, very popular uh, Tout le monde Quebec Oh, yeah. Exactly. 
And it, it goes, and, and really, so what that has done to um, the conservative, the federal conservative leader in Quebec is uh, yet to be determined, but it's not good, I'll tell you that much. Okay, let's bring in John Capobianco. Hi, John. Hi, how are you? Fine. So what is your take on this? Well, look, I think uh, the Premier was elected um, under a very strong mandate um, to... Uh, uh, to cut costs, to, to, to become fiscally responsible and fiscally prudent, uh, as was seen and, and proven now. The previous government left them with significant financial mess, um, despite their, uh, their attempts to say that uh, the books were balanced and all this kind of nonsense. Um, you know, when, uh, when uh, the Premier ended up doing a forensic audit of it and, and got some professionals to come in and take a look at the books, they realized that they were in some serious trouble. So he went about uh, and uh, did responsibly what he could to try to bring that down and, and actually fix the issue. And one of them was what he thought was something that he could sort of fix around uh, the, the, the Franco uh, phone issue. Um, but realized, I think, uh, based on a couple of uh, some some people sort of talking to him about it and, and hearing some backlash on it, that that it wasn't the right thing to do. And I think it was responsible for him to come back and say, "Okay, you know what? I heard you and I listened to you," uh, and uh, reverse his decision on some of those. So I think, quite frankly, it's responsible. Uh, I think everybody, you know, criticizes the, the premier for being, you know, uh, stubborn or or, or strong-willed on issues. Uh, but on this one here, he obviously listened and decided to change his um, his uh, viewpoint on it. I think that she should be committed for it. Um, my take on this is that one thing I think his base likes about him is that <clears throat> he's willing to take things on uh, that I would call a, a, a sacred cow and, and francophone rights and, and allocations and entitlements being one of those things. Uh, but I think he ran into it just not politically feasible. Well, and I think too, you know, there's no question that I think as 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 we um, as he's looking at various things, and then again, you know, just considering the, the the financial situation that he's been put in, he needs to, and he's looking at he's looking at everything, and I think he's continually looking at everything, and I think, you know, being able to say, look, okay, I, I this was an area where I thought we could sort of you know do some cost savings or or uh, change some some of the perspective on it, and realize that it's not the case, and that there was more people that feel that we uh, we weren't doing something uh, that we thought was was right and, and changed his mind on it. I think that's uh, that's something that politicians should do, ought to do, and people criticize them uh, for not doing it. And when they do it, they criticize them for, for doing it. So I think you know there's a bit of a double standard there. He he saw the uh, the issue, he addressed it and uh, and fixed it. And I think we should we should move on. But, yeah, I think but, that's right. But, they, but he, really, really, how much money would it have sta- saved? I mean, the the cancellation of of the university, which hadn't been started, that's one thing. But but Canceling that office, I don't think that would have saved very much money, Charles Bird. No, but they, I mean, I, I agree with John. I mean, in the face of what was an immediate backlash, um, the government did respond by appointing uh, a very high profile minister in Carolyn Mulroney as Minister for Francophone Affairs. Uh, they moved the role of uh, the Francophone spokesperson into the Ombudsman's office. We're very public about that. But where, where, 
Doug Ford especially needs to be careful is is the is in terms of um, the sort of the the bully reputation that that some people hold of him, which is to say that he's willing to do things and who cares what this community says. And while his base may find it refreshing, it may not play nearly as well to mainstream Ontarians, especially in 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 key areas which are very which are you know have a lot of ridings and are very vote rich. And I think he has demonstrated some degree of of political deafness by by making some counters. But in choosing not to uh, continue with building the Francophone University, he's obviously made a, a, a tough decision with regards to the, the respective cost savings that are to be had. So that will cause the, 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 linger, the issue to linger and maybe fester a bit within Francophone communities. Um. Okay, so we've got this, but I want to take uh, pick up what you've been saying about the appearance of, of being a bully, because we've been hearing other things, some of them pinned on his chief of staff, Dean French, that, you know, all of this nonsense that we see with people getting up and having standing ovations every few minutes in the House, that they are monitored, and if they don't do it, they it's noted, and that's one of the things that MPP Simard, she was the only one not giving a standing ovation the other day. Uh, so w- what about all that? Is, is that uh, John Capobianco kind of inside baseball about, you know, a problem with the way of managing caucus? Or is that something that you think he has to be careful of and, and resonates with people outside? Well, I think, you know what, quite frankly, Libby, I think that it's, it's, quite, I think it's nonsense. And I think it is inside baseball. I think that if you ever watch, and those of us uh, that watch uh, Question Period, both federally and, and, and provincially, um, you know, it's not unusual for for backbench MPs, MPs or MPPs, quite frankly, to get up and applaud on a regular basis uh, something that the Prime Minister or the Premier has said, uh, or even, quite frankly, the Leader of the Opposition. You know, there's there's that's a very standard practice that has happened and happens throughout, you know, any government. Maybe quite not frankly. quite as much as it does at Queen's Park. Well, but no, listen, I, you know, I could, you know, whenever Prime Minister Trudeau gets up, you know, there's there's people that get up and every word he says, they stand up and, but I think there's, 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 there's there's optics about it. There's, you know, it shows shows well on TV for people that see it. Uh, if the mainstream media pick up on that, they, you know, it's a good clip for 30 seconds to show the prime minister getting a standing ovation or the premier getting a standing ovation from his backbench MP. So I think a lot of that happens anyways. And I got to tell you, uh, this thing about Dean French, who's a personal friend of mine and I've known him for a long time, um, being mean or being a, um, you know, being sort of this this person who's, you know, instigating certain things. He's a chief of staff to a government. And tell me one chief of staff who does not have a bit of a, 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 a who has to be you know tough and and understand that they're you know he's running a government with with along with a number of other people so there's it comes with the job that you have to have a bit of toughness um, and uh, and I think that's what he's just, he's been displaying uh, and those who know, know Dean know that he's a businessman as is Doug Ford they are seeing government as a business, and they're running it like a business. And if you could see the success that they've had over the course of the last number of months uh, since they've been elected, they've accomplished a heck of a lot of things uh, in a short period of time. And that involves a lot of, you know, discipline and, and making sure that people are doing their jobs right. Well, uh, just uh, to digress a bit, John, on, the, on that note, I mean, the report about him getting Ali Kanvelshi fired to the tune of uh, $500,000 for one day's work, that seems a bit, uh, you know, overstepping. 
Yeah, well, and that's still, I think, to be to be proven. I think that, you know, and I'm not sure Ali Khan has actually been fired. Um, so, you know, I think all of that is still some, some conjecture. But, but you know, for, for the chief of staff to make calls and, and to talk to stakeholders uh, across, the, across the province is not unusual, and I think others have done it in the past as well. And uh, Charles Bird, so we know the prime minister is meeting with the four federal leaders about francophone issues. So is this uh, for show, you think, or uh, is he is this a way that he can turn around and take on Doug Ford and some of the other conservatives who are uh, really taking him on on the carbon tax issue? Um, I think one answer is that um, francophone affairs are an important component of the Canadian political fabric and have to be attended to carefully, given you know that we have such a, a large francophone population in this country, not only inside the province of Quebec, but actually a million francophones outside of Quebec. I think the political answer is that he's looking to make Andrew Shear's life as miserable as possible and that he's been gifted with this issue and intends to... Uh, use it to uh, the utmost of his ability. And, you know, with with regards to the, the whole notion of monitoring MPPs for how often they're standing up and how vigorously they're applauding, um, you know, it's, it's a bit of a strange story, but I'm, I'm very surprised at how much it's resonating and just and, and how much and how much it's being talked about um, by ordinary folks. And I think it goes to a bit of disquiet on the part of people if, you know, the senior ranks of the premier's office, whether it's true or not, if they're spending time thinking about this, you know, why aren't they thinking about me? Why aren't they thinking about, you know, making my life better and making the economy better and creating jobs? Uh, John, uh, what about... Uh, Charles uh, comments about how this is going to affect Andrew Andrew Shear, who, by the way, we will be talking to on the show tomorrow. Uh, I've seen commentary from francophone commentators who say, oh, Doug Ford is now a liability for Andrew Shear. This is a problem. What's your take on that, John? Yeah, no, I think think that, you know, there's always concern with respect to... um, what provincial leaders do, especially those of, of you know other conservative or liberal provincial leaders do, if they're uh, you know to their federal um, counterparts on a regular basis, um, you know you were seeing that with respect to Rachel Notley and and uh, Jagmeet Singh and and the issues that that's caused. Um, you know Kathleen Wynne, uh, when she was premier, was not always a big asset to uh, to, to to Justin Trudeau and vice versa. Uh, so there's always those kinds of issues, but at the end of the day, you know, Premier Ford has to govern Ontario and has to make sure that you know he is doing what he needs to do to get to get his promises done and and to get reelected four years hence. Um, and you know, sometimes it's going to cross with uh, with what Andrew Scheer uh, wants to do. Um, but you know, Andrew Scheer realizes that that the premier just won a significant majority in Ontario, and a lot of the seats that that Doug Ford ended up winning uh, are held by Liberal MPs. So you know, that's going to be a concern to the to the Liberal Prime Minister and the Liberal government uh, and the Liberal Party op- uh, operatives. But but you know, I, I think that uh, on the whole. Um, you're going to see a lot more uh, working together. I think the premier wants to make sure that people understand that cap and trade is a significant um, issue with respect to taxes, and it's being a bad tax. And I think Andrew Shears on the same page. And I think I think you're going to see a lot of that messaging um, happening over the course of the next year or so as you get into the federal election in 2019. Okay, uh, hang on. Let's take a call from Tony in Niagara. Hi, Tony. Hi. How are you? Fine. How are you? Good. Good. 
Uh, I love your show. Thank you. And I also love your music. Uh, reminds you of uh, Chum uh, 1050 when I was a kid, you know? Uh, we like it better than that, but <laughs> sure. We'll take it. Thank you. Okay. Hey, listen, uh, as Ford said, you know, promise made, uh, promise kept. He's not perfect, huh? He's not a perfect guy, but he's an honest guy. And if he makes a mistake, you know, he apologizes and says, hey, guys, you know, I made a mistake, whatever, and that's life. And the only thing really killing him is that NDP woman. I mean, she's on TV there. My God, is she ever nasty? I mean, we were talking about it at a pool hall one night. She just doesn't shut up. You know, do you, do you think that you, you perceive her as being uh, more nasty than some other opposition person because she's a woman? Just asking. No, no, I just think she lost. She's like uh, Mrs. Clinton. You know, she lost and she just can't take it. Well, I don't think that she ever really expected to win. So well, I don't think it's similar to Mrs. Clinton. Uh, so um, and I think um, just just my two cents here, you know, you can no. agree with her or not agree with her. But I think that, you know, when women in politics are held to a different standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, women in business, too. And, uh, well, I, you know. I have nothing against women. I mean, well, uh, my dad... Uh, uh, Your hired, dad married one. <laughs> yeah, and not only that, he hired uh, women on heavy equipment. They got the same union rate as the men did, so it's not like I'm saying anything different. You know what I mean? Uh, They're yeah. okay. I'm just putting that out there. Just think about that. Yeah. Okay, thanks for your call. Have a good day. Okay, Bye. bye-bye. Okay, um, one thing that I would uh, like to take up John and Charles, and so this uh, Andrew Shear Doug Ford kind of dichotomy, you know, there was a lot of talk that Doug Ford is really angling to be the federal leader. He denied it. He said that all he is interested in doing is governing Ontario. You know, there have been a lot of commentary that Andrew Shear is kind of a lackluster leader. What do you think of that, Charles? Well, um, I think Doug Ford has his hands full being Premier of Ontario, and, and he's, he's wise to take the position that he has taken. And um, there already is a Prime Minister, um, and his party has actually seen um, a sizable uptick in support, largely out of Ontario. And some people have conjectured that this is as a result of, of you know, Kathleen Wynne being gone and a new sheriff in town and some, you know, uh, early uh, relative missteps on the part of the new provincial government, and uh, the federal liberals are benefiting from that. And the other amazing thing is that, according to polls uh, that are, uh, the public polls anyway, uh, the provincial liberals have resurged. It seems like uh, the defeat of Kathleen Wynne has lanced the boil somehow, and um, Ontarians are uh, looking at the Ontario Liberal Party again. Um, in I a, missed in a very that poll. What? Way. Really? That was Frank Graves recently, and there was an, which had the Conservatives at thirty-three percent and the Liberals at thirty-one provincially, which is amazing, given that the Liberals don't even have a leader at the moment, and and probably speaks to you know the the, the travails of any new government coming to office and and assuming leadership. I mean, it, it's not easy. It's very easy to get the shoes wrong early on, and you know there does seem to be an underlying current of of support for the Liberal. Party, both federally and provincially, and some people had conjectured that it was dead, and that you know 
know, we'd be looking at a two-party state in Ontario, and the, and the opposite appears to be true. The other thing I would say, and, and this is this goes back to to Andrew Shear, it goes to Justin Trudeau, it goes especially to Doug Ford, and 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 recent um, stuff around francophone affairs. I mean, how a leader, how a prime minister, how a premier manages his or her caucus is really, really important. I mean, Brian Mulroney was an absolute master of caucus management. Uh, Kathleen Wynne was very good. I mean, her her team stuck with her to the bitter end and to a to a terrific defeat, and there was never a whisper of discontent. Um, and I think that's something that that the, the Ford administration is going to have to come to grips with how important its MPPs are, because it's it's easy to think, oh, all the power is centralized, and oh, you know, it's it's the premier and and a small number of ministers who have all the power. But at the end of the day, those MPPs are are vital to the success of the party. They're key in terms of communicating back what they're hearing from constituents in terms of communicating the message of the government and of course ultimately to getting reelected. And so it'll be interesting to see um, whether the current configuration around Doug Ford is able to make those kinds of adjustments and, and, and really accommodate conservative MPPs in a meaningful way. Uh, John, is Doug Ford a threat to Andrew Scheer? Uh, not at all. In fact, I think he's actually a compliment to Andrew Scheer. Um, <clears throat> I was at both the federal conservative convention in Halifax and the most recent one here in Ontario, <clears throat> the, um, the, the Premier's um, PC Party of Ontario's convention in, in, uh, in Toronto. Uh, and, you know, I heard Doug Ford speak at the Halifax one to a standing ovation of, of about two or 3,000 delegates. And I saw Andrew Scheer speak at the Toronto one to, uh, to a standing ovation of about 1,000 delegates. So I don't see that as a threat. I think that, uh, as I said earlier, you know, there are going to be issues that they may uh, have to disagree on because obviously Andrew's got a, a federal perspective and needs to focus on federal and and multi-jurisdictional issues where where the Premier has to focus on Ontario. So are there going to be times where right, but what about, issues, you know, are going to cross for sure. But, but what the about day, the chatter that, you know, Andrew Scheer is a bit of a nebbish and Doug Ford is, uh, you know, out to overtake him? Yeah, no, well, uh, nonsense. Uh, quite simply, I don't, I don't know how else to, to put it, uh, Libby, but it's absolute nonsense. I think I think Andrew Shear is doing a phenomenal job. Uh, as uh, as Charles uh, just indicated, the polling number for for Andrew have continually increased since he became leader. His caucus is behind him. Uh, he's got a huge amount of support. Uh, the money raised that they're raising has been has been record breaking uh, over the course of the last little while. So I don't know what else he could do. Other than you know, try to have the media cause a bit of a rift between them. But and Doug Ford, look, Doug Ford is, is a very us. outgoing guy, and he's got he's got a certain personality about him, and the media love covering him. So they, of course they're going to talk about that. But Doug's focused on Ontario. He's got issues to deal with here, uh, and uh, and the two of them are going to work together. Okay, let's take a call from Elaine and Bob Cajun. Hi, Elaine. Howdy. I like this topic, and I'm I support Doug Ford in this particular decision about not funding the university. Okay. So based on, I want to inject a little bit of science into this because I'm for women's rights, I'm for women getting equality, and this is the 21st century now. So I was just going to point out science-wise that a lot of European languages are divided genderized, although North American isn't genderized. and. It depends on the nouns of what gender they are. Unfortunately, the French language is just genderized into masculine and feminine, whereas other European languages have neuter. So it depends on what what um, gender 
the uh, nouns are in. And in the case of the French language, unfortunately, there's a lot of negativity toward women in the way the uh, nouns are divided up. I, I I wouldn't say that. I think the. Can um, I give you I some? mean, I I don't I I don't know that we need to get into this. You know, well, frankly, can I, give I, you I some was example. I don't so that... think I I don't think so because I think most people listening don't know French. Uh, people in Ontario, uh, Anglophone people in Ontario, are not particularly well educated in French. Difficulty even pronouncing French names. I come from Quebec, uh, and I don't think that that's really the issue here. But thanks for your take on the Francophone University, Elaine. And uh, we are just about running out of time. So what would you like to leave us with, uh, Charles Bird, first? Well, I, 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 it, it's hard not to comment on what's happened uh, to the, the workers at GM in Oshawa yeah. and, and the thousands of people who've been impacted. And, and um, you know, it's uh, somebody was saying to me that uh, perhaps uncharitably that when those jobs leave the province, the last thing they'll see is that open for business sign that's just been erected. Um, and I think it goes to a, a very real political problem, both provincially and federally, which is the political rhetoric doesn't necessarily match the reality of an increasingly competitive North American and, and global marketplace where disruptive technologies are changing everything where GM has made some really, really difficult decisions based around surviving as a company, and um, people across North America have been really, really impacted in, in, a, in a terrible way just before Christmas. So my thoughts will be with those folks uh, over the holidays. Okay, Charles and John, what would you like to leave us with? Well, other than, and I, and I agree with Charles with respect to, you know, just thoughts and prayers to, to those, because nobody ever wants to, to, ha- to have that. I know that a lot of us have friends or family or, or contacts that have, uh, that have um, you know, obviously been affected by this in some way, shape, or form. But for me, I, I think it's just a question of, I think the Premier's done a phenomenal job so far. I think that he is on track uh, in doing a lot of good things. I think the fact that he's exposed the financial mess of the Liberals have left them with and is trying to deal with it, I think is going to be important. And I think Ontarians are, are respecting that and are going to, uh, are going to uh, support them for that. Okay, thank you so much, John Capobianco and Charles Bird. Thanks, Libby. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.